0: to another episode of the CrossFit Harrow podcast episode number 82 and today we have Jed. Jed, thank you very much for joining us. First question goes out to everyone is why uh, why CrossFit Harrow brought you here?
1: I live nearby. I mean <laughs> yeah answer. like done CrossFit a lot before moving to London. Um, I moved to London in 2019
0: Okay, so just before, like, the whole...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And before that, I was living in France for a little bit, uh, near to Paris, and I did CrossFit there, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Before that, I wasn't doing CrossFit. I was going... I feel like I'm going backwards... I should, I should have started at the beginning and gone forward, really, <laughs> shouldn't I? We'll, but yeah, yeah, no. We'll figure it out. Before that, like, I was at this independent gym called Graft House in Leeds. They've got an Instagram page. Is it's that key. where you're originally from? No, no, I'm from Hull. Hull. Yeah, so that's where I first did CrossFit. Um, but that was before I moved to Leeds. Uh, Graft House is this amazing independent gym. Um, just a great, like, facility. Loads of, like i think they've got four or five like lifting platforms with power racks and then like they've got a sled pushing bit of fake grass and they've got yeah yeah, they've got loads of stuff it's really fun um and before that i was using the gym at my former school the Molly academy which was not very good but they did have like a smith machine and a cable machine and
0: I suppose at that age, though, that's kind of what we look for, isn't it? We look for when you go to a gym at like six, was it about six? No, no, no.
1: This was like, no, no. This was so like, I didn't really get into like, despite doing just like, you know, every possible sport growing up, I didn't really get into going to the gym until I finished university. Um, and the reason I started going to the gym was really because by the end of the university, you know, university experience, I was pretty unhealthy. To be honest, I was like,
0: "Why is it a culture of unhelp- being unhealthy?" I'm, um,
1: I'm not really sure. Like, I think you're immature. You know, it's the first time you've lived away, yeah, and you're making it all. All of your choices are like your own. And like me, for example, I played rugby from the age of four, but I went down to the rugby club before that because. That's what my dad did, you know. So I was like almost like his choice that then got turned into something yeah. that I did. And then you make these choices for yourself. You you know, the world's so open, the world's your oyster that I think you're almost spoiled for choice. I certainly experimented in some things that I perhaps shouldn't have. Um, you know, I'm not afraid of admitting that. By the end of university, I was just We'd been through, like, some personal bereavement in the family as well, which didn't really help, I don't think, but I was I was really unhealthy, you know. I was, like, I am a sort of, you know, the ectomorph body type, and obviously, if I don't train and work on my fitness, I'd kind of get skinnier and skinnier, really. So I was, like, I think I was just under 10 stone by the end of university, um, which is pretty, you know, I was just not healthy, and I thought, right, I'm going to... I'm going to sort myself out because I stopped playing stopped playing sport really at university as well. And I think that was just because I didn't meet anyone else who was interested in the sport. sport. Um, they were, but not to the same level I... as me. Yeah, yeah. And I just didn't quite like fall in with the crowd of the sporty people. Like... And rugby at university, you know, there's a lot of negative stuff associated, like associated with it, like hazing and initiation ceremonies. Yeah, and, I've heard a lot about them. That was yeah, quite big in football as well, I think. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I did play a lot of football, but I purely played at school. Um, I, and I played one season, like where I actually played for a for a team. Um alongside like playing rugby kind of at the same time as well and um yeah i i just it really sort of like switched me off from it i was like i just don't want to do it and i'd kind of just i got a bit fed up with rugby because and i wish i'd got go into going to the gym sooner because that would have that's what i needed to do yeah. ultimately looking back when i was like 15 16 maybe even 14 and I was good at rugby, and I was playing maybe like, you know, the edges of representative teams, and you know, I was really quite a good player, playing in a really good team, but I didn't realise what else I had to do outside of it, in the professional era, to almost like maybe make a career out of it, or to go even further.
0: I suppose you're not supposed to
1: know, right? You're not. No, yeah, and I mean, Nobody ever really taught me as such. My mum was always very against me as a teenager, like doing every kind of heavy lifting and stuff. She was like, you know, it's it's not good for you, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't know why she thought that. I mean, maybe there's some truth in it. Obviously, if you sort of do things with poor technique, we all know that you can get injured yeah, and stuff like, that. like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, uh, as a kid, you've got no fit.
0: Yeah. So that risk of injury is probably even greater. Yeah, it?
1: definitely, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and and I do regret not not basically training earlier, but yeah, as I say, I played loads of sports. As I got a little bit older, it was like the rugby teams I was playing for were kind of forcing us to go into the gym a little bit, but they weren't really teaching us how to say like, put together a program to like improve our strength. They weren't really teaching us about, well, you know, this is how many calories a normal person kind of eats in a day. If you want to put on like a mass, significant yeah. amount of mass, you're going to need to eat roughly in this range. And you're going to need to do these exercises and you're going to need to do these rep ranges and you're going to need to repeat these things. And I had to figure all that out for myself like much later. So I sort of missed a trick there and I do regret it, but. But I,
0: I actually think that that's actually quite a big issue in itself because uh, even you, you said that you, you played at certain levels and, and representative levels and stuff, and, but even from a grassroots, I know mm. that's enjoyed the whole fun of it, the whole purpose of it is for enjoyment. Yeah. But I think that's one of the issues is that if you don't understand why or how, yeah, then that's probably going to have a little bit of problem like later on to the point where you got, where you are a good level. And you the difference maybe between you getting to the to the next was all that maybe all that information. Yeah, yeah. you're probably not the only person in that. I I would actually say I had a bit of some experience with with football.
1: Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not, yeah. And I think uh, I think it really switched me off from rugby. I was like, for some reason, like people were getting bigger all around me. I wasn't, (laughs) and it was like you reach a sort of certain age level where you get up towards the Colts as well, where there's, unless you're playing in a big club or in an area where, like, and I always played rugby union, not rugby league, which is unusual for someone from Hull, because um, it's on the M62, where like just rugby league is king, basically. Okay. Um. So, yeah, like, it, I just, I couldn't seem to make the, 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 the I, couldn't, I couldn't seem to m- make the, the jump up to meet the physicality demand of even like, not even professional rugby. I suppose it was sort of, the club that I was playing at was like, when I was in the Colts was Hull, RUFC, and they're like national three kind of thing, so.
0: So it was the closest you could possibly get at that time?
1: Yeah, I mean, but I wasn't playing for the first team. You know, I I think I maybe was on the bench for the second team like once. You know, I was you know I was seventeen, eighteen, mainly playing in the third team, and you know I would train with the first team, first and second team, and again it was just like there was such a gulf between me and them. I I started to wonder. I honestly started to wonder how I could ever sort of bridge the gap between me and some of these gargantuan, like, monstrous guys, you know. And, yeah. And it's just switched me off. I just thought, I, just, I don't know. I didn't know how I was ever going to, you know, like, meet that physical demand. And I sort of lost the sort of self-belief that you need to play a sport like rugby where it's very... Demanding, yeah, physically but, and mentally. But, I, but think. I
0: think a lot of there's been a lot of changes to sport in general, not just rugby. I think a lot, m- most sports, if not all, that now is spending more time of actually what you do off the pitch or off yeah. the track or whatever it might yeah, off the court, yeah, to improve other areas of the game. So I think, yeah, yeah, I would imagine that was like night in the, like late 90s, early 2000s. Is this the kind of times we're talking about? Yeah, I
1: suppose so. Like, when did I go to uni? I'm like, I'm 28, so 2011. Yeah. Um but yeah when I was a teenager like playing the highest level of sports that I've really ever played like you know it was that teenage age group kind of level between like you know under 13s and about under 17 18s and yeah I just didn't I didn't I was doing all sorts of stuff like I was skateboarding and like smoking not like all the time, or anything, but like doing like silly underage drinking, all of these silly I mean, things. We, well, I think we all. Gone through yeah, I think it. I think we all have, but like those things for some reason were like came came easy, and I think I even would have done less of those things if somebody had just sort Give of you said direction. this. Yeah, just giving you direction, not even necessarily having to be there, but just saying like, okay, so you know we do training twice a week, we play on weekends. This
0: is what you need to do in between. Yeah,
1: exactly. Just even having that conversation, I don't even think that conversation was ever had. Yeah. You know, I just, cause again, with rugby, the thing is it was only made professional in 1995. So like a lot of the guys who were our coaches, had, had, you know, grown up with the game when it was purely amateur, Yeah. you know? And, you know, it, the change.
0: But I think they, they, they've realized like over the last decade of how important being, like, a full-rounded individual yeah. sports person is. And yeah, not, yeah. You know, growing up roughly, the, you know, the same times, I very much remember too that it was – a lot of it was, like, on the pitch of, like, drills and and and, and plays that we would do to beat an opponent. Yeah, yeah, But actually, like, we didn't actually spend much time. I was just, like, a small teenager. Mm-hmm. I wasn't um, at all big in height nor width. Yeah. And I'm still not big in, in height. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I was never taught. You know, it got to even up until like 18. I think I was starting to question, like yourself, like why are these conversations never being yeah. said? Because you kind of just end up. Then a lot of people just fall off there and they stop playing Yeah, yeah. sports, or whether they're good or whether they're not so good at that sport. Mm. It's just yeah. bridging that gap. Those conversations don't get get. They don't. They're not. They're not said. They're not had.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think that's definitely true. Yeah. And. I started, you know, like I say, I started going to the gym, end of university, it was like exercise for less, you know, and I used to go, and I used to do a couple of the classes, like I used to do like the circuit training class, for example, and they did it like twice a week. So I thought, well, if I go and do that, and then I kind of knew how to like deadlift and squat a little bit and stuff like that, but I wasn't really programming it as such. I was like, and if I try and do a little bit of that in between, then I'll get, Get fitter, you know. I'll get fitter and stronger. And I I did. I did to an extent. And I remember, I remember like, I think I joined the gym. And when I joined, they were like, "Oh, we've got no one to do your induction at the moment, but you've been in the gym before. You've played sports, so we're happy for you to use the gym and do the classes and stuff, whatever." And then basically, when someone's here, um, you know, well, I'll. It was you know, one of the managers or something was like, "I'll sort you out with a personal trainer, and they'll do a little induction with you." And I was like, "Okay." And it was this guy called Pete. I remember him. He had uh, like arms as thick as my legs, and uh, he said he obviously saw that I, you know, done sports and stuff like that before, and I was relatively fit. And you know, the exercise for less was like obviously lots of people going in there to use the machines the the casual gym goers as i will refer to them as just now you know the people who yeah you know use the step machine do a bit of walking a bit of running a bit of cycling rowing and then there's you know the the more sort of hardcore group who are going there to essentially bodybuild most of them they're they're doing bodybuilding you know they're they're going in there.
0: That's what all it was known really. It was what you were one or the or the other. Yeah, team. yeah, basically. Well, and that was spin it. Group too. That was also yeah,
1: spin yeah. Group. yeah. And and this guy was like, Well, you know, look, I, I do this thing called CrossFit. Like, you should look it up. I think you might you know, I think you might be interested in it. And sure enough I did and I went and joined like CrossFit Hole and that was where I started doing it. Um, oh, so Pete introduced you. So. Yeah, this guy called Pete. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what he's doing now. I'm not in touch with him or anything. He was just like a, you know, he was just a, seemed like a nice guy, you know. Um, and he was a personal trainer into his fitness. I hope he's gone and done his, you know, CrossFit <laughs> certifications yeah, yeah. and stuff because he and led by example. Yeah, yeah. Because he he clearly enjoyed it as well. Um, and then I started playing rugby again because I was like, I'm starting to feel fitter and stronger, and I started to feel like a bit more sort of body well, a bit more confidence in my, yeah, physical strength mainly, like in in my strength. And I thought, you know, and and the reason I did that was like, you literally, you look back and it's like, I've played rugby since I was like four years old. And I never really played in positions where it was like, you know, brute brute force positions, obviously. You only have to look at me to probably know that. And I spent all these hours of like working on these skills and building up these skills and instincts, training these instincts into myself. And I was just like, it's just a waste if I don't do it now. It's just a complete waste. Like yeah. all of those hours spent, and I loved it. You know, I loved it, and and I managed to re-find kind of enjoyment out of it, which was I found like amazing. Because if you'd have asked me like midway through university, I'd be like, probably never play rugby again. You know, probably. And now I'm I'm playing it again. Now I've had a few injuries over the years, and again, I've never played it to like a particularly high standard since. I was a teenager, but I've. You,
0: you've just made a really good point and made me rethink uh, quite a lot. And for, even for a lot of people, where you said that you spent all that time fine tuning those skills, creating those, yeah. you know, those, those skills and developing them for that. Sport. Yeah, yeah, Why would you waste them?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and like, it does bring you, like, there's nothing like executing a skill. You know, why do people like bake or. Yeah. so or whatever and those people spend hours you know honing those skills building up those skills and, and they don't like, do it half-arsedly They're, yeah yeah they exactly do, you
0: know they'll get the right ingredients whatever yeah. they need they'll spend that time turn the phone off
1: yeah exactly and like you know i yeah i i have managed to to kind of find enjoyment in that again for a long time i thought about doing the refereeing qualifications and becoming a ref um because I'm a bit of a nerd about rugby, like I know all the rules and like everything like that. But it's also but...
0: looking at it from a different perspective, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, and I always played like, again, like scrum half, fly half. The higher standard I played, I, I often played in what they call the back three, so full back or wing, um, because there were people who were... Probably a bit more dy- usually, not necessarily. I would say always more skillful than I was, but they were probably slightly more dynamic athletes. Um, and if you play fly half or scrum half, you play close to the ball a lot. And um, also, there's a lot of big, angry men close to the ball. Like um, so, being part of that bit more powerful and dynamic is usually quite a useful sort of physical attribute. So, yeah, sort of lost lost what I was saying but but,
0: that, that, but that's an interesting I, I, that's still really stuck with me about learning learning that skill and refining that and even from a if you want to bring it back to kind of the like whole CrossFit experience and people doing that and they you know I want to learn this I want to learn how to do a, a pull up I want to learn how to snatch and stuff well, yeah. if you do
1: you know we what can actually teach you I think that was a huge huge part of the appeal like to me as well the learning fact the yeah the fact that there were so many different skills to learn like you know, I you might have seen I like juggling, for example. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. one of the very first
0: things I'd noticed about you. Yeah, yeah,
1: like um, sort of things like that. Just I do like learning learning skills. I think that is also kind of one of the reasons why I I don't think I'll ever be a CrossFitter who wants to like do competitions and things like that because even though I do acknowledge, yeah, and I acknowledge that there are lots of skills involved like ultimately it's a test of like fitness and strength it's and it is a test of your skills and that's a big part of it but it's everybody has also got those skills and the thing that kind of wills out is usually somebody's fitness and strength as well as being able to execute yeah the movements Mm. precisely and efficiently but I much prefer competing in a field where there's like lots more uncertainty, you know, there's loads of different outcomes. Like you never Rub- know rugby pitch. Yeah. Or football. You know, I love I've played loads of football, like as an adult actually as well, like casually, sort of eight aside, five aside. And I do really like it. It is fun. Yeah. Yeah, like but I hate football as a whole hard to
0: think well you know, I find that growing up you either you're either find, you're either a rugby man or you're a football man or yeah, no, rug, you know rugby person football person
1: like my dad played for played played rugby always played rugby but he's a die hard Evertonian he's got a season ticket every other week he'll drive over from like the opposite side of the country in Lincolnshire to watch Everton and Liverpool you know with his partner Caroline they love it and um, but he he always played rugby I mean I think he played it for different reasons to me Um I just, I, I can't like support football. I just can't. Yeah. I just think it's just like, it's just awful. There are so many things about it. That are just, you know, organized violence and.
0: Yeah, still a big thing to this day.
1: Yeah. You know, sort of just the lack, the complete lack of like humanity and respect for other human beings over sort of people call it tribal I actually think it's worse than tribal like yeah. you know you could actually almost like form a good relationship with a neighbouring tribe I think whereas yeah. like in football it's just like no we want to you know there's scum. Well, there there's...
0: you've only got to watch the telly like a game yeah. to the way that yeah. an opportunity and there's a fan in the background doing it but it's,
1: of... it's not even the fans either it's the players if you want to literally just see like human just humankind it's absolute worst. just you know yeah go and watch a Premier League football match on the weekend <laughs> like because the players act, like, not very well, I'm going to say, in my opinion, just to keep it tame. You know, they're swearing at the referees, they're... Lack of respect. Yeah, just the way they behave towards one another, you know, like... And then...
0: Obviously, a diehard football fan will have the same views, would have, or same passion for football that you do for rugby would say that, it would happen in other sports too. But it doesn't. As much. I agree agree it doesn't. It just doesn't.
1: Like When you go and watch rugby, there's no home and away end. You could be literally sat next to somebody who supports the opposite team. When you go and watch rugby, you're allowed to drink in the stands because people know that they're not going to throw projectiles onto the pitch. But there seems to be
0: this this culture around football that it's away fans, home fans.
1: uh, Well, I really don't know where it went wrong. But I wish it would change because it's an amazing game and I, like I say I love playing it, love watching it, like I do, I mean it's, in terms of skill level, I think, you know, you'd be, you'd be hard pressed to find a game that is such a mix of like physical attributes and skill, like.
0: What's the highest um, performing rugby players, like Star, what's the highest like salary base?
1: Oh, I mean, that's difficult to say. I, I does suppose. It, does it
0: compare anywhere near football?
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think what footballers get in a week, most you know what what top footballers get in a week, most rugby players maybe get in, in six months to a year. You know, like most rugby players like have to have to work after they've finished. I mean, I think if you play. If you play anything up to championship level and you've been anything close to smart you shouldn't need to work for the rest of your life really should you like
0: yeah i mean it, it, this could be part of the problem as to why there is a lack of respect or things on the pitch and stuff or why footballers conduct themselves maybe the way they do
1: i think it's also because you get, they do get taken out of school very early yeah you Something know as like,
0: early as like 12.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I've seen kids getting taken out of school, especially around 14. Yeah, generally the 14 Yeah,
0: I, I, the, the reason and I said 12 is the earliest I've seen as 12, but yeah, 14 And that's little. just not
1: right, you know, that's gonna, I They're mean. They're still
0: learning quite a lot about, like, themselves, that, like, socially. Yeah,
1: exactly, it's the social, it's, it's the social aspects, like, they've not really learned how to socialise beyond the level of an adolescent. So perhaps it's not surprising that. And then that becomes
0: all they know. Yeah. football, all rugby is all they know.
1: I think rugby is very different. I mean...
0: I I don't know about rugby. I'd leave that.
1: I think I'd probably say, well, first and foremost, like it's still regarded as, as elitist sport. I mean, I think at the top level, it perhaps is. I think in the West Country, in the Southwest, there's a lot more like working class people who play it. Um say it's, like
0: it's a gentleman's
1: game, right? No. Yeah, was. I mean obviously Well the way the way the sport itself actually developed was the a couple of the more famous sort of ancient um private schools like rugby, Eton, Harrow, they had their own versions of like sort of that of, of football, you know, but the kind of old sense of football where it was like one village against another and there'd be a ball in the village and it'd be, you know, the medieval sense. Yeah. Um, and rugby school, you know, their version of this kind of, I think they called it muscular Christianity. is You know, it was, it was some guys, I can't remember the name of the guy, uh, but I'm pretty sure he was, he was the headmaster at rugby school and he sort of re- revolutionised uh, education in a way he started um you know bringing sports into school and prior to that i think sport had just been sort of things that you could gamble on really so like horse racing or cards or whatever sport had never really been what we conceive it you know perceive it, was, it as yeah. today yeah um and and rugby school their version of the game became the, the most popular version and then there were these, there were you know the gentlemen's clubs of the 19th century, um, you know these schoolboys who'd all been to public schools together, and you know perhaps were minor peers, so they had big country houses, and then they'd come into the cities to the, and stay at their club. Um, they started developing rugby teams and playing each other in London. Harlequins, Wasps, Saracens being some of the oldest ones, I think. And then it it sort of grew from there, um, but then there was the split mainly caused by football becoming professional
0: and rugby still wasn't at that time. Well, rugby yeah, was it wasn't 95
1: yeah yeah um because essentially i think the the members of the elite did not really want to mix with uh you know the lower middle class or, or working class individuals um and by keeping the game as as an amateur game and and they, you know, you could only really play it if you could afford to take a day off, a day off to play and maybe a day off to train. Now, obviously, working-class people in the 19th century would have worked seven and a half days a week and took a half day off maybe to go to church or something. You know, like, or (laughs) they they wouldn't have stopped working. Like, the concept of the weekend did not exist, really, at that time, if you were a working-class person. That's interesting. I
0: wonder when
1: that came in. Yeah, yeah, I mean... And I, I think you'll find it was probably, like, during the period of, like, yeah, Industrial Revolution, where, like...
0: Did Henry Ford, is it, am I right saying Henry Ford made the
1: 95? Possibly, possibly. I, I don't know. I mean, he's American. I know much more about British history than I do <laughs> Is that what you I'm studied somewhere. at uni? No, no, I oh. studied English literature at uni. Oh. But I think you uh, inevitably study history when you study literature. Yeah. Because the two are parallel. Um. So, so these guys, these middle class guys could afford to, or upper class guys could afford to you know, take a day off and have, have a game of, of sport and, and working class people couldn't. And, but the working class people wanted to do that. And the reason football was sort of more popular for a lot of working class men, of course, was that it became professional very early. So your team, your club was willing to pay you a day's wages. To come and play because they'd have fans coming to watch, they'd have a gate, they'd have money to pay the players. Now, I think that is why rugby league also, which became professional very early, kind of came about because and, and why it's again so popular in the north, because you know, I think you take a place like sort of Leeds or, or Manchester as an example they were prior to in the industrial revolution, like not really that much bigger than villages. Yeah. They were like, they were not big places, but all of a sudden, when they can be there, the sort of inland canal routes can be exploited and they can start to build mills and draw people in from the countryside to work in these factories and manufacturing and stuff, like they just boom. Um, and you've got these people who who wanna play a sport and they're interested in the sport, which is like this growing fascination. And then, yeah, there was this kind of, this desire for the people who invented, I suppose, rugby to sort of keep it as as their own. And the working class people sort of rebelled against that by either saying, right, we're gonna play football or we're gonna play rugby league, which you're allowed to be a professional and you're allowed to get a day's pay for, basically. Um, And they obviously couldn't necessarily afford to take a day off just to play rugby union, which is quite an interesting thing, quite a sad thing, but I suppose not really a surprising thing in the context of, British history. With for, our, for
0: those listening, though, what can you tell them the difference between union and
1: league? Yeah, well, one is thirteen players, one's fifteen. Um, I think that's actually in that's actually quite practical in terms of separating two games. As yet again, kind of more of perhaps a working class game and a middle class game. I, for example, went to just like a state school in the north. I didn't go through a private school. Just i just played rugby union because that's what my dad played. Um, We played rugby league because we, we only had school minibuses. You can only fit 15 on a minibus. So you'd have 13 players your, two subs. and two subs, yeah, yeah. If we'd have wanted to play rugby union, we would have had to hire a coach, like, and I don't necessarily even think the school could like afford to do that, you know, so or take two minibuses, but then, you know, obviously you said you worked in a school before, mm-hmm. right? So. You've got multiple fixtures on any yeah, night of the yeah, week, yeah. different year groups, girls' teams as well. So, you know, that was another thing that, like, makes it impractical, I suppose. So I think it is it is still a bit of an elitist sport, but I don't know. I, I can't help but, but like it. I think the people who are at the top of the game, you know, I mean, FIFA and the... Well, FIFA are like an organisation. Um, the I can't even remember the bloody acronym now, but the it's the IRB, International Rugby Board. They're a charity. Oh right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're they're all about like just growing the game, you know, like and helping people play the game as like a form of expression or perhaps yeah as a professional career for some people but also as like a sort of just like a general positive force in people's lives again given like we talked earlier about you know what do you do in between well in nations where you know they don't have sport established in the same historic way as we have it established as a nation now I know that sport is like a transversal thing. it is played across the world different areas of the world have these different sports but I think genuinely, like, in certain parts of the world, they don't have sport like we have, you know? And they, just, they don't yeah, have Yeah, like... the same resources yeah, yeah. that we have. And I think, you know, the IRB try to grow the sport. You know, that's not what FIFA are trying to do. FIFA are trying to take backhanders off. You know, off here. like oil, yeah, like people who own oil fields, or you know, so, so they could hold the next big World Cup there or something like that, so that we can see England fans, you know, disgrace themselves yet again, <laughs> kind of thing. It's like
0: so, so, but where, where did? Because um, you're a secondary English teacher and teaching, yeah, teaching English to French students or teaching.
1: Yeah, well, I teach like bilingual students. Really, I, you know, um you know, they're half English, half French, like so. I do teach uh, one group this year for the last year of the French baccalaureate, which is just the, like, French school's different. It's set up different. Everybody stays till they're 18. Okay. Um, That's compulsory, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And there's different types of lycée. There's like lycée général, which is like general school, where if you wanna be a doctor or like if you wanna go to uni, that's where you go. And then there's lycée technical, which is like more vocational courses for people who want to be joiners, plumbers, builders, work in construction, whatever. Um, so lycée begins at the end of what we would call year 10. Okay. Um, and before that, before year 10 for them, that's college. So our like high school, if you like, a bit of an American term, but like high school is obviously like year seven to year 11. There's like CZM to... Troisième, which is year seven to year 10. And then they have this weird year of like their year 11 where there's no exams or anything like that. And it's, it's supposed to be a year where they like get used to almost studying things at a slightly higher level, but they don't really. Like it's just a bit like a nothing year. And then it gets really hard for them basically in the last two years of school. They do... Lots of different subjects in the French back still. I, they've reformed it so that they actually do less subjects now. But they used to do like 10 or 12 different subjects. Wow. So it was a bit like GCSEs, but... On steroids? High, yeah, okay. higher up. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the level was maybe similar to that of GCSE, maybe apart from the at the very, very top, you know. Okay. Um, and... There, are, there used to be three different streams in the French back. You could either do L, uh, which was like arty. I think it's littra, littérature. Uh, it's 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 like the arty option. And then there's O S E S, which is like economic science. And then there's S, which is science. And that's gone now because everybody basically used to... If you did L, you would just like it. A laughing stock you know like nobody did l so it was all about either doing you know os or s and that's kind of gone now and they choose specialities instead which is a, a better model but it's causing a lot of french teachers a massive headache because they've reformed everything obviously and they've not been super it's not like they've already had the plan and then they've just hatched it and it's all laid out for everyone. It's kind of like, they've been like, this is what we want to do. Now we're gonna do it, but we're not quite sure how it's gonna work yet. Like that seems to be like, but we will be sure how it's gonna work by the time the kids do the exams and everyone's like, well, thanks guys. That's really helpful, you know? (laughs) Um, So it's interesting and different. Um,
0: What, What made you get into teaching?
1: Well, I could have just as easy got into something like nursing or social work. Like my mother was a nurse and then she worked in a university teaching nurses. My dad was a social worker and then he worked in a university teaching social policy, you know, to do with child protection okay. in, but in all kinds of different workplaces. Like someone like you, for example, could have been in one of my dad's lectures because you might have to have a child protection policy here. Mm-hmm. So like, I suppose they were both teachers as well. And, you know, they both worked a lot of hours. you know, university campus is a place where you can hide a child quite quite well, I think, you know, in offices or like on fields and things like that, especially in holidays. So I'm, maybe that kind of like rubbed off on me a little bit. I always thought like, I was never like brilliant at like anything. I was always like quite good at like most things amongst the pack kind of yeah thing. Yeah. yeah like uh, yeah i was never amazing at like anything but i was like good at good at most things i got good gcse results my a level results were not quite as good but again i think that was down to yeah distractions that probably should not be mentioned on this podcast um <laughs> not yeah any kind of questions. yeah yeah and um you know just like I wanted to do something that, like, was at least sort of felt worthwhile in terms of, like, making a bit of a difference to other people. Like, you know, I, I think it could have been the fire brigade, it could have been the police, like I say, it could have been nursing or social work or something like that. I, I, I could never see myself doing something just for just for money. You know what I mean? Like, Which I think
0: is amazing that you feel that. Like like that because I find oh, yeah. I feel a lot of people are unfortunately in the position where they look at a job and I, I was having this conversation recently a, a lot of people get into work because just for the pure reason of funding whether it be a lifestyle or just to pay for certain things yeah. so if you look at let's say you go shopping in a shopping centre and you look in, in, in <laughs> I can't remember the last in, time in, I, I. in retail yeah. there are definitely people that take retail very very seriously and work their way up and, and yeah. you want to do it as a career. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, whether it be design, some sort of fashion, they, they want to look, store- like there's, a, yeah. there's skills in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there equally are also people at the age of 16, 17 who wish to take on a part-time job. Yeah. And these industries maybe just look to take them on in the sense that they just need to earn money. So to be able to yeah. do a job that you want to make a difference and not just do one for the sake of doing it, I think is admirable.
1: Well, I did work in retail while I was a student.
0: Um, yeah i mean i've, I've been there done yeah too. yeah yeah and i think we all ju- fall up with
1: him. well i mean it was, i was never going to be a long-term thing for me it was never going to be a long-term thing for me i always knew in my mind that i was not going to do it i was fortunate in that my teaching opportunity came from working in the shop that i was working in and my old head teacher came in and more or less offered me a job over the counter you know she was like what are you doing in here and I was like, well, I'm just about to finish my degree. Um, I was, you know, and I'd been doing, I'd, I'd perhaps unbeknownst to her, she must've known, I suppose. Cause I suppose if you're a head teacher, you really need to know everything that's going on. But I did used to go back and volunteer at my old school in, in the summers.
0: Yeah,
1: amazing. And I mainly did it. Cause I thought I'd been such a pain in the ass at school that I thought like, <laughs> Yeah, really, I honestly did, I was like, I've been so bad, like, if I can just go and, like, help them out with, like, maybe some other pain in the arse now, then maybe it's, like, sort of karma, like, balancing out my karma, like, and, yeah, I didn't really do it, like, because I thought... I wanted to be a teacher and that's the God's honest truth. I didn't really I, I didn't really do it like because I thought, yeah, teaching's what I want to do as a career. I didn't know what I wanted to do as a career, but I thought it was something like worthwhile and it was I was impactful. Yeah, and I wasn't doing el- like anything else with my time at that uh, that stage in life. And like I said, I was always like I was always alright at school. You know, I knew and I liked it, I think. Yeah. I liked it. I did like it. I like learning stuff. Um you or know. developing those skills that you said. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just gaining knowledge. You know, like just just gaining knowledge, just yeah. knowing things. Yeah. You know, that's important. Yeah. I think
0: there comes to a certain point where we sometimes we stop learning, and then you kind of get a bit of a stalemate with yourself because you feel like you're not improving, or maybe sense of purpose changes, or yeah. lose that sense of purpose. Yeah.
1: I think that's where like, work-life balance is important yeah. because you can very easily do too much of work and then those other kind of pursuits in life yeah. kind of just go out the window and you yeah. become a bit too happy just like... Yeah, agree. You know, not really doing that much with your time outside of work. I definitely found that difficult when I started being a teacher. Definitely. Like, yeah. um, well, I think that
0: might go back to the point of before, you know, if, it, if you lose that work-life balance, that come just, that go, like you can, bec- it, it, it can become a bit like monotonous. And it's the same thing over and over again, yeah. you kind of lose the sense of purpose of why you're in your job. You choose, you cho- you've you chosen, not you specifically, but people generally choose that career most of the time because they want to be impactful on someone else. They've got a skill at that. Yeah. Then it comes to the point, if you lose that, that work-life balance that actually yeah. you're just doing it more of a chore and because you have to. As yeah, yeah. Anything else.
1: Definitely. I mean, yeah I think in in my profession um something that thankfully is being talked about more and more um is work life balance, and I think in teaching, perhaps historically it went from
0: six week holiday maybe too much
1: of a yeah. work life maybe a work life life over balance you know, like of stories of like going to the pub at lunchtime and you know, stupid stuff like that, which I'm sure most teachers weren't doing, but some perhaps, yeah, were. Yeah. Um, to like, obviously the Ofsted High Performance Academy model where like, even now people are working their brains out, like, you know, under lots of pressure and lots of stress. Um, yeah. And. You know, now I think the unions and stuff like that are starting to talk a lot more and push a lot more work-life balance, but the Conservatives have just um, brought up potential uh, legislation to be voted through, which basically changes the amount of hours that teachers can work in a year, which I don't know whether it releases the, I need to read more about it. I don't know whether it releases the cap altogether or whether it it sort of increases the cap of hours that you can work in, in a kind of academic year. Which would mean that they could force teachers it's into minutes, isn't it, the
0: academic, is it yeah, minutes?
1: but the the way that they work it out is um, apparently, and I've only really learnt it from actually reading into this like potential legislation change. It's it's how many hours you work in that academic year, yeah, um, and there is a cap, you know, obviously, and then it's sort of divided in your timetable.
0: Yeah, I, I've seen, I, I do know, I've seen yeah, that before. Actually. Yeah,
1: and, and that's worrying, you know. Because
0: each curriculum has a certain amount of hours dedicated to.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah and I mean, it, well, yeah, and, and, you know, a lot of things that the Conservatives are doing slash have done are worrying mm. Um but this is not a political podcast. Yeah, I mean, I've been
0: told never to talk about politics, don't know enough, but I do have certain views too. Um yeah. Jed, what's the uh, what's the plans for you for the next six months, whether you've got you know, your own personal plans through work or, or aspirations or, or even fitness-wise?
1: Uh, get through the rugby season, you know. Um Obviously, grassroots sport has just sort of started again. I'm playing for a first team but they've only got one team at the moment um and they're a low level first team um they probably wouldn't like me saying that but it's kind of true uh and you know i think we need to get to the end of season and not get relegated really that's kind of the goal at the moment because i think we are in a league with a few more established clubs and the location of our club you've got like Ealing Trailfinders on one side, you've got Harrow on the other side. You know we're we're right in between. They then probably gonna never really have a minis and junior section because they're like these. You know Ealing clubs, yeah. are like a mega club, yeah. Like so, yeah. I enjoy that, you know, enjoy that, and try and enjoy the season right up to the end. Try and play better, like because I don't think I've. I mean, I've really only played like about two and a half hours of rugby since 2018 so far since the beginning of September. So, you know, I think there's a lot more to come as far as that goes. Yeah, um, and it's only a hobby, you know, it's not, like I say, it's not like a high level pursuit or anything, but I still want to do it well. Um, I mean, I very much do CrossFit to, to like supplement like other things as well, um, like rugby. Um, but it makes me feel better sort of physically and mentally. I'm very much like a creature of routine, and we talked about this ages ago. Yeah, I think yeah. like so, like I think again, maybe that's one of the reasons why teaching again sort of suits me. You know, you've got a routine, you've got a timetable; it doesn't really change week to week. And I feel very like comfortable when I've got those like things that stay the same kind of thing, and I can just change, you know, a little bit of variety. Just time yeah, yeah. Manage your that. time around it exactly. Yeah, yeah. So. So yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got a year eleven class and a year thirteen class this year. So I've got to get those, those guys through their exams, and I want them to do as well as possible. That's, you know, that's very important. Um, I've got to be super serious about that. Like, you yeah, I imagine like, there's
0: quite a bit of pressure from parents too. And
1: yeah, well, I, I think you just, I just put it on my, on my, on myself really. Like, I just think. Um, it's a reflection
0: of you as a teacher, right as well.
1: No, I don't view it like that. No? no, I don't view it like that. I just because things can. I I don't like getting into that mindset of the results of your class are a reflection of you because so many things can happen in in life that yeah, no, either the kids' lives or your life as a teacher. You know, you imagine if you have some kind of he- you know underlying health issue yeah. or something, you're never going to do as well that year. So I don't I don't like I don't like thinking like that. I like thinking you know, you want to do your absolute best for the kids, you know, and some years your absolute best might be better than other years. Mm. And you've got to try and obviously build as much consistency and you've got to keep growing as a professional and trying new things, seeing what works for you, not just staying the same, you know, bearing in mind that the kids are going to change and that philosophies and attitudes and strategies of education are are going to change and trying to, Keep learning about those um, is important. It's really important, I think, and I think that's one thing. Actually, that was better when I was working in the state sector. Was 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 this, the level of sort of CPD and four teachers? Yeah, was was actually very very good. It was very good. Um, it was better than in any of the independent schools I've worked in. I must admit. That's interesting, yeah. Um, and I think that might be because in independent schools, you've perhaps got a few more resources. So when you've got less resources in the state sector, you know, you, you've got to be a bit more creative maybe or something like that. So I don't know, I, I think, um, I mean, I actually just finished my master's. I've, I don't nice. know I don't know what I've got in it yet, but I did it in English and creative writing I didn't want to do it in education, because
0: that's such a huge topic.
1: Well, yeah, and also like um, kind of, I thought I do. I only teach one subject at the end of the day, so maybe I'm better at just studying that subject even more, you know, yeah. um, I, it sort of just made a bit more sense to me. I think perhaps if I was at a time in my life where I had more of an aspiration to move up the ladder in terms of like management roles within the school, maybe more of an understanding of education could be, could be better, but at this stage, I'm not really looking to do that. Like, um, yeah. you get
0: the results of your I don't really know.
1: <laughs> I, I, I've literally, it was hard. Um, I persuaded my old university, the University of Hull, where my, both my parents worked, um, you know, and where I actually studied myself which is a great university um i didn't want to study there initially but it was my insurance choice and i actually went to uni the year before there was the jump in fee prices oh, okay. so i was like, like the last year of the three From grand three to nine. yeah yeah so it was super competitive as i'm sure you can imagine not many yeah, people yeah. were taking gap years that year um but yeah I, i'm really glad i went there um but i persuaded him to let me do this sort of masters in research mostly remotely i went in a little bit um, and I attended some stuff online during lockdown and stuff. But, you know, with lockdown as well, it made it hard mm. to follow what I was supposed to be doing. But because I was doing it in research, it just meant I had time, which was nice. And yeah, I've finished it. I don't expect to be, you know, setting the world light with my amazing <laughs> results. But I, as long as that passes, I think I'll be happy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and I quite enjoyed it you know i did it in a in a topic that i'm personally interested in um, so it was in sort of this i'm calling it a movement it's a bit of a movement now more than a subgenre so it's cli fi which is climate change fiction it's often a lot of the time it's in within the realms of like science fiction sometimes fantasy and what they call speculative fiction which is like science fiction that could really happen you know like, okay um but often, well, nowadays, with like climate change being such a headline concern, yeah. it's it's kind of like infiltrating the mainstream a little bit. There's a lot more like mainstream fiction that's sort of addressing problems to do with climate change or like changing environments. Climate change is kind of maybe a theme within the book or something. Um, so, yeah, I found that super good, um, but I am glad it's finished. Uh, I mean, I got... Uh, i got my it's actually the third house i've owned in uh sudbury hill uh, and it was like a wreck when i got it um you know a complete rip out like new kitchen we actually moved the bathroom from one room to another because the bathroom the room that the bathroom was in i think it was like a cottage like maybe like a maybe like a two up two down and then they would have built extensions on the back probably when they turned them into council houses i assume at some stage because this is like a you know late 19th century terraced house House. yeah Yeah. um
0: so that's the the project for you
1: yeah i mean mostly it's done like um you know mostly it's it's fine but there's you know, you get to the sort of final little polishing bits, the last almost like 2%, the decorating and the, you know, making it look super nice. Um I want to carry on doing that. I also bought this land behind my garden, which was, oh my God, a mistake. <laughs> like, because, Little know it just looked like this, like my house sort of backs onto playing fields, right? So I was like, and there was like, the garden was like fenced off and I could see that next door's garden either side went right the way back to the playing fields. And like behind mine was just like bushes. And I was like, I wonder who earns that land. So I literally like went on the land registry, found out who earned it. They had a postal address, I sent them a letter. Eventually I get an email back from this guy who was the son of the guy who I'd written to And it's obviously like a land magnate who buys up plots of land and then sells them. So I bought this land off him for more than I thought I should have paid for it. But, you know, I consulted various people and they were like, What are you going to do with it? What
0: are you going to
1: do with it? I'm just going to turn it into a garden. Like, it's 47 meters long, my garden. Wow. Yeah. Like, and it's something like. That's big. Yeah, I know. It's something like 4.7 meters wide as well. So it's like just a big, long tunnel. But yeah it was that area has been used as a dumping ground for like God knows how long Uh, and I don't have at the moment even though it says I'm supposed to have it on the deeds I don't have rear access you know I can't get around the back I have to take everything through the house and it's not that fun yeah I can imagine I need to sort that out because ultimately I need to sell that house for more than I bought it for and move somewhere else. Yeah, Um, that's a big project in itself. Yeah, yeah, so I need to keep cracking on with that, but God, it's... Time. Yeah, and sometimes like very frustrating and stuff like that, and yeah, just, you know, trying to do as much as I can myself and, you know, occasionally Making a bit of a mess of it and having to either do it again or (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, which is just like fine. Like again, because it's learning. It's it's learning. It's all learning. It's learning new things. But yeah, Yeah, I need to to, yeah, and I need to get that absolutely sweet as a nut, like I say, so I can then sell it and then make a bit of money and then move somewhere else.
0: Jed, lovely personal goals there. And I actually, I, I do hope they, uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear how they uh, how they turn out in the next few months. Um, but we have unfortunately run out of time for today. Um, so thank you very much. It
1: didn't seem like that long, did it? No,
0: it's <laughs> <was> blown by. <laughs> Guys and girls, we'll see you next week. Much
1: less, much less pain, painful than the dentist as well. <laughs> <laughs>